Shalom and welcome back to TzmachStudy.com and our study of Sefer Dvarim. My name is Menachem Liptag. Today we continue our study of Parshat Ekev, Shur number 3 out of 6. We will be studying from the beginning of chapter 9, verse 1, until verse 19 in chapter 9. It divides into three subsections. The first three verses, once again we find Moshe Rabbeinu reminding the people that God will help them defeat their enemies, despite how difficult it may appear to be. In verses 4 through 6, he will remind them how unworthy they actually may be to receive the land, but God is going to give it to them nonetheless due to his promise to their forefathers. And finally, in verses 7 through 19, Moshe Rabbeinu will discuss primarily the sin of the golden calf in order for the people to appreciate how forgiving God was in that incident and how they should appreciate the new opportunity that God is providing them with to this new generation. So let's begin our study in Perak Tet Pasuk Aleph, chapter 9, verse 1. Note again the opening line of this chapter, the famous words of Shema Yisrael. This is the third time we find this phrase. We found it at the very beginning of the speech, its opening line. We found it in the beginning of chapter 6, verse 4, with the famous Shema Yisrael as the Hamitzvah section was beginning. And now we find it one last time, and I would like to suggest a reason why we find it specifically here. Up until now, almost all the commandments in the Hamitzvah section and all the rebuke could have easily been said to the first generation at the time when the Torah was given, when Moshe went up on the first 40 days. Recall our main point from our introductory shore that what Moshe Rabbeinu is saying over to the people now in the 40th year from chapters 5 to 26 is primarily the same rebuke and warnings and laws that God instructed him to teach the people during the first 40 days at Har Sinai when he went up to receive the first tablets. As Moshe Rabbeinu gives over the speech, here and there he'll be adding his own commentary. As we saw in the beginning of chapter 8, he told them, remember your 40 years in the desert about eating the manna and how difficult it was. But the rest of that chapter, about the dangers of prosperity in the land of Israel, would have been just as relevant to the first generation when Moshe received the Torah on the first 40 days. Now we're going to find that the entirety of chapter 9 is rebuke that could not have been given during the first 40 days in Har Sinai because it describes entirely events that happened after the Torah was given. In fact, it's going to talk about events that were happening as Moshe was receiving these laws during the first 40 days. That is primarily the story of the sin of the golden calf. And as this now begins Moshe Rabbeinu's direct rebuke to the people to learn from their experience, the most harsh rebuke that he will give during his entire speech, therefore he begins his section with Shema Yisrael. So let's begin now with chapter 9, verse 1, Perek Tet, Pasuk Aleph. Shema Yisrael, Ata over hayom et yardain, reshet goyim gdolim vatsumin mimeka. Pay attention, Israel. You are now, today, passing over the Jordan River to come to conquer nations greater and stronger than you are, arim gdolot uvtsurot bashamayim, great cities that are fortified up to the heavens. Notice how Moshe Rabbeinu seems to be exaggerating about how strong the cities are that they're going to attack, that the walls are fortified all the way up to the heavens. And he continues in a similar manner in verse 2, Pasuk Bet, Am gadol varam b'niyana king, a great and tall nation, children of giants, Asher ata yadata vatashamata, that you know and you have heard as well, mi yitzev lifne bene anak, 
Who can possibly stand before these great giants? Then Moshe continues in Pasuk Gimel, verse 3, V'yadata hayom, what you need to know today, Ki Adonai Elohecha hua uber lefanecha, eshokla, you need to know that Hashem, your God, He is passing in front of you. He is a consuming fire. Hu yashmidim, v'hu yachneim lefanecha, He will destroy them, and He will cause them to surrender before you. V'horashtam v'avaretam maher, kasher diber Adonai lach, and you will drive them out, and you will annihilate them, just as Hashem, your God, has promised you. Now, God's promise of helping the people conquer the nations in verse 3, we've heard many times before in this speech, but the first two lines are rather unique because Moshe Rabbeinu seems to be saying the exact same thing that the spies said back in Sefer Bamidbar in chapter 13 in the story of the spies. For example, if we read in chapter 13 in Sefer Bamidbar, in verse 28 and 29, they say, Efes ki aza am ma'od. And the cities are very fortified. We also saw there the children of giants. And of course, this report is what scared the people that led to the sin of the spies. So why is Moshe Rabbeinu giving to the people now, 40 years later, the exact same report that the spies gave 40 years ago? And 40 years ago, that report led them to sin and decide not to conquer the land. In my opinion, I think this is a very good proof that we need to understand the story of the spies in Sefer Bidbar a little different than it is usually taught. God wanted the spies in Sefer Bamidbar to tell the truth. They were supposed to come back and say the land is indeed good, very good. On the other hand, God wants the people to know that the enemy is formidable. In fact, that may be the very reason why in Sefer Bamidbar it appears to be God's idea to send the spies. So why would God want the people to know that the enemy is formidable? Because He wants them to know that without God's help, it's impossible to conquer the land. He also wants them to know that with God's help, they can conquer the land. But they also need to know that God's help is contingent on their keeping the mitzvot. And therefore, in Sefer Bamidbar, where the focus was on leadership, God was hoping that the leaders, after coming back with this report, would inspire the people, the land is very good, and it's worth fighting for. The enemy is formidable. But you also need to know that God's help is contingent on your keeping the commandments. And therefore, the leadership should have motivated the people and encouraged the people to identify with keeping the laws of the Torah. Instead, leadership failed in that regard. They concluded that the end result would have been disastrous. And therefore, they, together with the people, decide we're better off going back to Egypt. Or basically, they decided we do not want to be God's people. Moshe Rabbeinu is trying now to fix that problem and reminding them on the one hand, it is impossible. But Moshe Rabbeinu's primary goal in this speech is to encourage the people to want to be dedicated to keeping the laws. In fact, that is the thrust of the entire Hamitzvah section. You must have the right attitude and understand the need to be committed to keeping all of God's laws. And if you have that commitment, God indeed will help you. From that perspective, Moshe Rabbeinu sees the people in the same situation they were before the sin of the spies. And now he wants to fix that problem. And that is exactly what he tells them in verse 3. You need to know today that Hashem, your God, He's going to lead the way. He could destroy them. And then he'll continue later in the speech and tell them that this help will be only on the condition you keep His laws, as we'll see towards the end of chapter 11. In the next section, Moshe Rabbeinu has to remind the people that their forthcoming victory over the nations of Canaan should not lead them to think that they're getting something they deserve. They need to remember that they and their parents have a very bad track record. 
And they have to realize that God is doing them a favor by giving them a second chance. And now he's going to remind them how bad their parents' generation was, bringing examples from the various stories that happened. And then he'll have to explain to them why God gave them another chance anyhow. So Pasuk Talat, verse 4, Al tomar bilvavcha, do not say in your hearts, Badof Adonai Elohecha, Otam milfanecha lemor, when Hashem your God chases away your enemies from in front of you, Pitzit kati heviani Adonai, l'reshet et azot, it is due to my righteousness that Hashem is bringing me into this land to conquer it. Uvrishat ha'goyim ha'ele Adonai morisham mipanecha, and also the reason why God is allowing us to conquer them is due to their evil behavior. Then Moshe explains to them in verse 5, Masake, Lo vitzit katecha, uvyosher lebavcha, atava l'reshet et artsam. It is not due to your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you are coming now to inherit their land. It's primarily because of the evil behavior of these nations that Hashem, your God, is going to conquer them in front of you. And also, in order that God can fulfill his promise that he swore to your forefathers, to Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. Those two elements, the evil behavior of the nations in that land, plus God's promise to the forefathers, those two together gave God a reason to, despite our bad behavior, give us another opportunity to conquer the land. And therefore, he reminds them one last time in verse 6, Viadata, you need to understand and internalize, Ki lo v'tzitkatecha, it is not due to your righteousness that Hashem your God is giving you this good land in order to possess. Because you are a stiff-naked nation. Now that phrase, being a stiff-naked nation, we find it for the first time in the sin of the golden calf. What does this phrase mean? Someone with a stiff neck cannot change direction. He can't move his neck looking one way or the other. He can only look in the same direction. God was hoping that all the experiences in the desert would cause the people to change their frame of mind. He was hoping that the experiences of the miracles in Egypt and the ten plagues and the splitting of the sea and what happened at Marah, fixing the water and the manna that fell in Midbarsim and the water they received in Rafidim and all those events that led up to the Torah being given in Harsinai would have had such a strong effect on the people that after they received the Torah, he was hoping they would be totally dedicated and have total belief in God and also the right attitude in desiring to be his people. Instead, what conclusion did he reach after the sin of the golden calf? The people have not changed their ways. They've returned to their old ways and God realized due to their behavior at that incident, they are not ready yet to enter the land. And now he's going to tell that story of what happened. In verse 7, Pasuk Zayn, Zachor al Tishkach, remember and do not forget, how you provoked Hashem your God in the wilderness, from the day that you left the land of Egypt, until you came and arrived at this place, in Arbot Moab, you have been rebelling against God. Now in verse 8, Moshe will continue and bring the specific example of what happened at the sin of the golden calf. In Chorev, that's the other name for Mount Sinai, you provoked Hashem. 
Ve'itanat Adonai Bachem Lashmid Etchem. And Hashem became angry with you and wanted to destroy you. Now Moshe will go into details. Pasuk Tet, verse 9. Ba'aloti hara lakachat duchot ha'avanim duchot ha'brit asher karat Adonai Bachem When I went up the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant that Hashem had made with you, ve'eshev bahar arba'im yom barba'im laila, and I stayed on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, lechem lo achalte umayim lo shetiti. I did not eat any food, nor did I drink any water. Pasuk Yud, verse 10, ve'itein Adonai Eli et shnei luchot avanim tuvim v'etzpehelohim. Hashem gave to me at that time, these two stone tablets, written with the finger of God, both the tablets were carved by God, and the writing was done by God. And on those tablets was written, like all the statements that Hashem spoke to you on the mountain from within the fire on the day that we assembled together at Mount Sinai. Moshe continues now in verse 11, Pasuk Yed Aleph, And it came to pass after these 40 days and 40 nights, Hashem gave to me these two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Remember in Shmot, the main phrase is tablets of stone. Now in Sefer Devarim, Moshe is emphasizing the fact that they were also part of the covenant and recall that this idea of covenant, the word Brit, has been very central throughout the entire speech, especially in the opening lines where Moshe said, Hashem Elokeinu Kratim Anu Brit Bechorev, Hashem our God or Hashem our boss, made a covenant with us at Mount Sinai. So these tablets were the symbol of this covenant. When your behavior showed God you were not worthy, Moshe, will see, was going to break them. Pasuk Yudbet, verse 12, Vayomer Adonai Eli, and Hashem said to me, Kum reid maher mizeh, ki shichet amcha asher otzeta mimitzrayim. Get up quickly and go down, because your people that you took out of Egypt have acted wickedly. We'll return to this word shortly, the word shichet. Saru maher minaderach asher tzibitim, asu lahem masicha. They have been quick to stray from the path that I was leading them on, they have made for themselves a molten image. The use of the word shichet in this verse, I think, is very important because it goes back to the description in Sefer Shmot where God told Moshe Rabbeinu, Lech red ki shichet amcha. But shichet usually refers to wicked behavior. For example, the first time we find the word, which I think is key to understand the story of the sin of the golden calf, is by the flood. And recall from the beginning of Parshat Noach in chapter 6 in Sefer Breshit, it says there, The land became corrupt in front of God, and the land was full of evil. It's not quite clear exactly what Shichet and Hamas was referring to in that story, but it is definitely referring to some type of wicked behavior in how man is dealing with his fellow man. And there are numerous parallels between the story of Mount Sinai and the story of the flood. Some obvious ones, as we just read, the idea of 40 days and 40 nights. The concept of finding favor in God's eyes, Matzachen, that was Noach and Moshe Rabbeinu. Another interesting parallel is that Moshe and Noach are both saved by a Teva, and those are the only two times in the Torah we have the word Teva. And most important is that at the end of the story of the flood, we find a covenant between God, and not only with Noach, but with all his creation. 
And in the new covenant, God is going to be a bit more forgiving because he notices that the nature of man is his only evil from his youth, but he can make changes. Kiyetzer Adam, Ram Menu Rav, as opposed to before the flood, where Yetzer Adam was Rak Rak before the flood, his evil inclination was all the time. And after the flood, God realizes he might begin his life that way in his youth, but he can fix his behavior. In a similar manner, after the events of the golden calf and at Har Sinai, God has a new covenant with attributes of mercy and a whole new relationship between God and his people begin in a manner similar to after the flood. And those parallels may point to a behavioral connection between the sin of the people that led to the flood and the behavior of the people in the events of the sin of the golden calf. You should also note that the word hashchata or shechet is found quite often in the story of stone. They're primarily in the manner which God punishes because when there's hashkata by the people, then the punishment is also hashkata by God. When the people's behavior is corrupt and evil or wicked, then God, in reaction, will destroy that society. And therefore, it seems that what makes God so angry is not necessarily the act of making the golden image, but more so the behavior around that golden image. We'll explain this in more detail as we continue now in chapter 9. Pasuk Gimel verse 13. Hashem said to me, I have seen his people, and they are stiff-necked. As we mentioned before, this conclusion by God that he has seen due to their behavior, this nation is not going to change their ways. If this was the first infraction, maybe it would have been different. But since they left Egypt, God said, I see their behavior. They just don't seem to understand the main reason for the redemption. Due to their behavior, God tells Moshe Rabbeinu, there's no way I can fix these people. They can't change their ways. They're stiff-necked. And therefore, what does God suggest in Pasuk Yedalad in verse 14? Heref me many, vashmidem, leave me alone and let me destroy them. Ve'emchet shmam mitachat hashamayim, I will blot out their name from under the heaven. Ve'eseotcha logoi atzum v'rabimenu, and I will make out of you, or maybe people like you, a powerful and more numerous nation than they are. What God seems to be implying here, I can continue this covenant with the people, but I will only deal with people who are perfect and do not sin. Moshe, as we will see, does not accept this, and he's going to pray to God to change it. Pasuk Tedvav, verse 15, I turned and I came down from the mountain, and the mountain was ablaze with fire, and the two tablets of the covenant were on my two hands. Pasuk Tetzain, verse 16, And I saw, and behold, you have sinned to Hashem your God. You had made for yourselves a molten image of a calf. You had been so quick to go astray from the way that Hashem had commanded you. If you look again at verse 16, there's two ways to understand what Moshe saw. It could be that he saw the golden calf, which made him angry. And what was the golden calf itself? That was their going astray from the way that Hashem had commanded them. In other words, this is describing one primary sin. It could also be that there are two stages in the sin. First, he saw that they made this golden calf. But what it seems like when you read the story and say Shemot carefully, 
It wasn't only the act of making the calf that made God angry. It's the way the people celebrated around that calf. If you look at the conversation between Moshe Rabbeinu and Aaron, when Moshe questions Aaron what happened, what does Aaron answer in chapter 32, verse 22? Aaron tells Moshe, do not become angry, my master. You know this people, they're bad. Their behavior is wicked. And they asked me to make some representation of God. I listened to them, but the situation got out of hand. And then, if you look in verse 25, Moshe saw the people, that they are wild. Aaron caused them to become wild, to their disgrace in the eyes of their enemies. It seems like what makes Moshe of him so angry, and hence what made God so angry, was not just the technical act of making the calf, but rather the manner in which they celebrated. And their celebration, the way they acted, and the way they rejoiced, showed Moshe and showed God that they didn't change their Egyptian ways. They were still immersed in their Egyptian culture, as the Navi Yechezkel explains in chapter 20 in the book of Yechezkel, where he talks about how bad the people were that back in the land of Egypt, God had demanded or requested that the people break away from their Egyptian culture and they were not willing to listen. The whole goal of the Exodus experience and all the preparation for Mount Sinai was in order for the people to arrive at a new view on how to live their lives. And God was hoping that they would reject their Egyptian culture and take upon themselves to act in a more godly manner. What God saw from their behavior at the sin of the golden calf was the type of behavior that indicated they're not ready yet to be God's people. Now, God could have been very strict and said, I'm giving up hope on that people altogether. But Moshe Rabbeinu is going to pray to God and say, not to be so strict, give them another chance. First, he's going to try and stay the punishment by breaking the contract, showing God we're not ready to fulfill this contract. But afterwards, as we'll see in tomorrow's class, Moshe is going to beg from God, please use your attributes of mercy and renegotiate this contract so that even an Amkshe Oref can have you in your midst. As he'll say in his famous prayer in Parshat Kitisa, in chapter 34, May Hashem now dwell in our midst, Ki Amkshe Orefu, even though we're an Amkshe Oref, even though we're stiff-necked people, But then should we sin, then forgive us for all of our bad ways. This new contract will create a new type of relationship with God where the goal will not necessarily to be perfect, but to try to perfect. God will answer this request by declaring his 13 attributes of mercy, but he won't bring his presence back. The Shekhinah will not return until the Jewish nation shows God that they've learned their lesson and they spend six months following orders and following instructions and building the Mishkan, which will be the symbol and reminder of the events at Mount Sinai. In our share tomorrow, we will continue with this topic. But first, to conclude today's share, we will read two more psukim. Pasuk Zayin, Moshe describes how angry he became. That post b'shnei luchot, I held these two tablets, v'ashlichem me'ashtei and I threw them down from my two hands, v'ashabarem le'nechem, and I broke them in front of your eyes. The rabbis understand that Moshe breaking the luchot in a certain way saved the Jewish people. Because if this contract was still intact, on that contract it's written that Hashem is an Elkanah, he's a zealous God. 
He's quick to anger. He's pokedavon. He'll bring punishment on those who hate him or don't follow his laws. He's loyinake. He won't clean away sin of people who carry his name in vain. And therefore, if this contract was still intact, God would have to punish them right away. By breaking the luchot, in essence, he's breaking the contract. And now that the contract is broken, there's no need for God to punish the people. On the other hand, once the contract is broken, we're no longer a nation representing God. So on the one hand, he saved the people. On the other hand, we are no longer God's people. As we'll see later on, we'll need a new contract called the Second Tablets that will include God's attributes of mercy that will enable a nation who's she'orav, a nation who's difficult to change, it will enable them nonetheless to become God's people with recognition that they can do better. It may take a while, but they can change their ways and learn from their mistakes. Pasuk Yudchet, verse 18, And I fell in prayer in front of God like the first time. Also for 40 days and 40 nights of prayer. Again, I did not eat any food, nor did I drink any water. For all the sins that you transgressed. To do evil in the eyes of God to make him angry. But Moshe Rabbeinu is explaining that just like he spent the first 40 days receiving the laws of the Torah, now he's going to spend 40 more days praying that God should forgive them, not only not kill them, but hopefully give them another chance to prove their worthiness to be God's people. According to our tradition, if the Torah was first given on the 6th or 7th of Sivan, and Moshe Rabbeinu receives the laws that go with it on the first 40 days, Moshe Rabbeinu came down with the first Luchot on the 17th day of Tammuz and broke them. Then on the 18th day of Tammuz begins the second set of 40 days when he prays. If you add 40 days to the 18th day of Tammuz, you'll see that that prayer ended on the 29th day of Av. After accepting God's prayers, Moshe Rabbeinu, as we'll see in tomorrow's year, will go for a third set of 40 days, beginning on Rosh Chodesh Elul. On the first step Elul, he'll go up, spend another 40 days, coming down with the second tablets on Yom Kippur, the 10th of Tishrei, 40 days later, and hence the holiday of Yom Kippur is the anniversary of when God is willing not only to accept our repentance, but to make a new contract with His attributes of mercy. And now we conclude with verse 19, Pasuk Yotet, For I dreaded the anger and rage that God was directing at you, when he threatened to destroy you, and Hashem listened to me, accepted by prayer, that time as well. In tomorrow's shir, we will continue with verse 20 and discuss how God related to Aaron's behavior in this incident as well.